Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Robcast. This is episode 256, and it's called A Hymn for the Curve. Now, here's how committed I am to this episode. Uh, I think about these things, I make all my notes, I carry them around with me, and then often I'll go out surfing before I record because the drive there... um, no music, no radio, podcast, anything like that, like silence, and then surfing, and then drive home. It's like just hours where it all gradually starts to find its place. Then I come home, and I hit record like I just did, and away we go. This episode is so deep in me that I just, (laughs) a couple hours ago, I go down to the water um, I stand there for a second. I set my board down on the sand in order. The, the wetsuit that I wear this time of the year has like this flap that you put over top of your head and then you zip it across the top of your chest. And I usually leave it undone until right before I get into the water. I get right to the water line, set my board down, put the go to put the flap over top of my head and I can't get it around. And I'm like, what is the what? And I realize that I've put my wetsuit on backwards. Now, let me give you a bit of context. I started wearing wetsuits, well, this would have been growing up in Michigan for water skiing because the goal was how late in the year and how early in the year, how soon after the ice, the last bit of ice left the lake, could you get out there and start skiing? So I probably started uh, in high school wearing a wetsuit. So that's like 32 years. I don't think I've ever put a wetsuit on backwards. Are you feeling me on this, Robcast friends? This is the level of commitment to this episode. I put a wetsuit on backwards. At that point, I, I mean, I'm that deep in thought about this. So then it's like, do you go back to the car? Or there's actually a, like a, a bathroom way up on the beach. White, walk back across the sand. Or do I just get in? So I was like, you know what? Let's, uh, let's see what we would learn by surfing in a wetsuit that we're wearing backwards. Let's try that. I don't know who the we is there, me and the committee, apparently. So um, I paddle out with the wetsuit on backwards. It actually fits, (laughs) it actually is quite comfortable. It doesn't really fit differently frontwards or backwards. See, once again, the whole thing is curiosity. The thing is rigged in your favor. Just instead of, oh, this doesn't work, think, I wonder what we'll learn by surfing in a wetsuit that's on backwards. I get out in the lineup, I uh, catch a few waves, and I see this guy that's often in the water. Um, and uh, we always talk and say hi, et cetera. And I see him probably 10, 20 yards over. <laughs> and I say hi to him. His name is Clive. He's South African. He's just an absolutely beautiful human being. He is on his own frequency, though. Let's just say that. He would be honored by me telling you that about him. Clive is on his own frequency. But I see him. I wave. <laughs> and he says, hey, <laughs> something's wrong with the zipper on your wetsuit. Do you want me to help you fix it? (laughs) And I say, I just paddle like a, I like tilt towards him. Like I just turn the nose towards him of the board. And I say, uh, (laughs) this was my answer. Uh, Remember how Einstein used to like put his pants on backwards? It's one of those situations. (laughs) Oh, my word. Because that's an answer, but it's an answer that raises a whole new set of questions, right? It's like the beauty of science. Every explanation you get 
merely moves the mystery down a layer. Oh my word, if you could have seen his face when he's like, do you want me to come over and help you? Because clearly something's wrong with the top of your wetsuit. Do you want me to come fix you? And my answer is, you know how Einstein <laughs> used to wear his pants backwards? It's one of those situations. And and he looked at me like, like as the French would say, quoi? Uh, so I literally pointed to my skull and said, big things going on in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word I do not know why that is so fantastically entertaining to me but uh, anyway I've been thinking about this episode and it went that deep um, oh uh, while we're on the subject of things that are enjoyable and weigh in me this introduction to Joy Tour I've been doing all year only a couple cities left Santa Cruz, Sacramento Nashville, Atlanta, and then um, Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, and then uh, the last night here in LA at Lodge Room um, sold out, so a second night has been added. Lodge Room is this like little intimate venue in Highland Park, and so I'm doing two nights there to wrap up the tour. Of course, would love to see you at any of those cities. Um, and that's the introduction to Joy Tour. And then um, I'm doing these new something to say, how to say something workshops. And I, sh I changed around the structure and I'm telling you, it's like magic. It's like, like cracking a code or unlocking some serious mojo. So it's about communicating, but it's really about your life getting unstuck and figuring out how to do what you're here to do. And uh, we just put up dates for a number of those. So um, January, February, March, come, come here to LA and spend a couple days with me, and um, we'll learn all sorts of things from each other. So there's a few things going on, but now, a hymn for the curve. This episode is for every one of you who has this sense that it could be done better. Whether it's a craft, a trade, art, science, job, calling, vocation, raising kids in this new, funky, modern world we find ourselves in. This episode is for every one of you who has this sense that it could be done better. You, you've been handed by your tribe, by the academy, by your mentors, by the system, by the rule book. You've been handed a way to do it. And yet you look around and you have this sense of dissonance, like, no, there's got to be a better way to do this than we're doing it. Education, health, com communication, business, caring for the earth, uh, helping people make sense of their interior lives, art, beauty, design, aesthetics. Um, you've got these little peoples in your charge, and you're creating the space where you can launch those rockets and the way that you grew up, if you were going to raise them like you were raised, it wouldn't work. You honor all of the good, but yet it's a new world and you don't want to raise kids for a world that doesn't exist. And so you look around you and you see how it's being done and something within you, it's like, no, there's some other way to do this. Uh, it may just be tweaks and adjustments to the dominant way it's being done or the way you've been doing it. It may be like a full overhaul, a full revolution. Like you got to take that car apart in the garage 
all the way down to every last nut and bolt and then completely rebuild the whole thing. And this thing happens where you begin to take a little step here, a little tentative step there. You, you just tweak this. You adjust that knob. You try it this way. And you look around you, and you don't see the people around you doing it this way. Or you look around you in the dominant consciousness, the cultural center of gravity, the tribal center of gravity, is like, no, this is fine, what's the problem? But yet you have some sense, some restlessness, some dissatisfaction, some vision, some imagination, there's a better way to do this. And then a part of you wonders, why doesn't everybody see this? It's like, how come you see this? How come you have this dissatisfaction? Or just simply longing uh, something in your heart sees just how great it could be. Um, and then you try this, and it's difficult. Difficult to break new ground. Uh, it's tough sledding. And yet a part of you also, man, you can't turn back. You can't just go back to how you always did it. And sometimes you're like in this in-between where uh, you haven't found the new groove, and it's actually you're experiencing great resistance, loneliness, um, difficulty, but then to go back and be like, eh, I guess I'll just settle. That that violates something. Something about the soul dies when that happens. So that's what this episode, this is for every one of you. You have this sense there's got to be a better way. And yet with that has come all sorts of unexpected trials and difficulties and misunderstandings and strange looks and awkward moments when you try to give language to what you're doing because you don't even quite know what it is. It's just like a gut instinct. Uh, there's a bell curve uh, that I stumbled across a number of years ago that transformed how I think about all this. Um, man named Everett Rogers uh, did a piece of work called The Diffusion of Innovations in 1962. Isn't that fantastic? It was about technology. And essentially his research said, that a new idea, specifically he was working in the area of technology, a new technology arises, and there are those first innovators who get their hands on this technology, who form it, shape it, use it. Then there are the early adapters, those first people who take that innovation and begin to use it, put it into practice. Then there is the early majority of people. Then there is the late majority of people who take it on. And then at the end, you have what are called the laggards, which I love. Um, essentially, the, the work was about uh, technology and how new technology spread throughout a culture. There's first this first group of people. I'm sure you've come, seen this um, talked about in all sorts of different fields. Um, but it's a bell-shaped curve, which, as you can imagine, I'll take it. So picture like a, like a, obviously shaped like a bell. There's this front, front edge those first innovators who step into whatever it is that's new. Think about the first time you saw an iPhone. Think about the first time somebody told you that they put solar panels on their roof. Think about... Um, but I like this for a number of reasons, way beyond the original study and its specific implications for technology and how cultures adapt things. There's something about that curve, the idea of a bell curve in innovation... It grabbed my heart, and it made sense of things 
And it brought me over the years so much peace and uh, I think I think comfort is actually the word. It was like soothing for me. Here's what I mean. Uh, I came up through this particular tradition. I was trained as a pastor. I went to seminary. I was uh, given a whole way that you do the spiritual life. And I got into it, and I was giving sermons, and I was trying to help people, and I was doing weddings and funerals and hospital visits and prison visits, and I was, um, I was in the game. But I began to sense, and we're talking like mid-90s, as like this whole system that I'm a part of, this particular system, I don't think it's going to survive in the new world. Um, Kristen and I would have long talks about there are these shifts going on. Um, we could feel almost like that first wave before a storm hits and the air gets a little still. We just had the sense like there's something coming that's going to blow apart um, how so many things in life operate. Um, and spirituality, religion, a church, let alone the the Christian household, the Jesus movement, how the Bible's understood. This whole thing isn't... It, it's it's going to need to be... There's a big rethink, as our British friends say. We, we need a giant rethink here. Um, so when we in uh, 19, it would have been 98, when we were 28, when we started a, a new church, for Kristen and I, this was... We have to explore new ways of understanding this, a, a new spiritual vision, which will always obviously incorporate the ancient and the very, very old with the new world we find ourselves in. Uh, but what we noticed is not that many people around us were talking about this. Um, for, for some, they'd simply abandoned the ship a long time ago. For others, it, it worked fine. And uh, I just knew there have to be new ways of understanding the Bible. There have to be new ways of understanding the Jesus movement, and there have to be new ways of understanding what it means uh, to be a spiritual being, what it means to have a spiritual vision of life. And a lot of the baggage attached to some of these words has turned off so many people. We're going to need new metaphors, new images, new ways of holding and understanding the same, or understanding this in some way that will speak to the world we find ourselves in, because we're, we're, we're more spiritually hungry than ever, right? Meaning, hope, how to figure out who you are, and how to walk your path, how to forgive people who have wronged you, how to have a proper, sustainable relationship with the earth, how to live in nonviolence, both with your words, your actions, and then as a people, as larger political entities. The, these have been the questions for thousands of years, and they're the questions to this day. So when I stumbled across Everett's diffusion of innovations and saw there was a bell curve of innovations, Kristen and I were like, oh, this explains so much. We're trying to break new ground here. We're trying to do something new. And it's like that front edge of the curve that very front edge, there's only a few people there. Now, this can easily turn into an ego thing, right? You can easily you can take anything and turn into like, hey, we're pretty special. For us, it, it, it always had enough difficulty and sweat. It had a built-in 
humbling trip switch to the whole thing. It was never like, hey, look how awesome. It was always, this feels like work we could give our lives to. Um, by the way, you know uh, you're on the life-giving path when it's both profoundly exhilarating and humbling at the same time. It's got all these trip switches built into it that keep you, um, especially when you see your life as an art project, it's it's never like, man, I nailed that. It's generally like, just take another swing at it, seeing if we can make a little more progress, make it a little more beautiful, make it a little more understandable, right? It's just that step-by-step, nuanced, subtle, trying to figure out what the next right thing to do is. But when we saw that, when I saw that bell curve, oh, oh, right, right, right. Uh, why did I expect that everybody would understand what we're trying to do? Where did I get that expectation? And it's like the this bell curve gave me like this visual, oh, uh, there are just some things that I'm here to do. And I shouldn't expect everybody to get it. If everybody got it, it wouldn't be new. If everybody got it, it wouldn't be innovation. If everybody got it, then it wouldn't be needed. So for every one of you, you have some sense, like there's got to be some other way to do this, some better way, some, some way that connects more deeply with our humanity. And you keep looking around, like wondering why everybody doesn't get it. Let's just make peace with that right now. This is why this is a hymn for the curve. <laughs> Let's just make peace with that right now. It will be lonely from time to time. Whenever there is a dominant way that things are done, somebody somewhere will have a tremendous amount invested, and I use the word invested because there'll be, generally there's some sort of money involved in keeping things the way that they are. Somebody somewhere benefits profoundly from this setup. So whenever you are like, Ah, there's got to be some better way to do this. Let's tweak this. Let's try this. Let's say if we just had a blank sheet of, if we just had a clean white sheet of paper, if we just had a blank whiteboard and we were to dream it all up again, how would we do it? And you get pushback from that. And you're like, wait, all we're trying to do is make it better. Remember, there is often some system somewhere that somebody somewhere is doing really well off out of things, from things staying exactly as they are. Somebody somewhere has a great deal invested in things remaining the way they are. So I often meet people who are, uh, they're tinkering with it. They've got their hands under the hood. They're like, wait, we've got to rethink this. And they're experiencing all of this blowback and they're like, what, what? I'm, I'm trying to give a gift here. Um, somebody somewhere probably is enjoying the fruits of it staying exactly the way it is. So this is a hymn for the curve because sometimes it's lonely. You look around you and you're wondering why everybody else doesn't see it. It's because this is what you're here to do. You're here to be one of the, you're one of the first people through the wall. 
you're one of the you're one of the first people to explore this at this time and this place. Yeah. Other times, uh, we just keep talking about it, trying to get others to see it. Um, maybe maybe you've had this experience where where you see something, you see a possibility, you're locked in on it. You know that it could be done better, differently, more efficiently, with more depth, with greater heart and soul, with better results. And you keep talking to everybody around you, trying to get them to see it. Uh, it might not be what they're here to do. Yeah. And when you're breaking new ground, you don't actually know what it is. You're experimenting. You're exploring. So sometimes the anxiety that arises from, I don't quite know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I just feel like I'm fumbling around in the dark. I just have some deep sense, almost pre-verbal. I can't even quite articulate it. I just know there's some exploring to be done here. There's got to be some better way. And so if you don't make peace with that anxiety, then what you do is you oftentimes will start trying to sell everybody else around it, around us on it. But the thing is, it might not be what they're here to do. So it's energy spending trying to bring along a mass of people when it's energy that you could spend just doing it. They might not get it until they see it in flesh and blood. And you're here to give it legs. You're here to give it flesh and blood. They still might not see it. They might completely reject your efforts. They might have completely think you've lost the plot. But... It's what you're here to do. And sometimes that's just not enough explanation. Oftentimes, we're looking for nice, clear, linear, logical explanations about why we feel this compulsion and need to give our efforts to something. Uh, there might not be any explanations other than something within you says, if I don't head in this direction, something within me will die. Yeah, and that's just how it is. So you're endlessly, why do I care so much? I don't know why you care so much. I don't think your soul even cares for an explanation. I don't think your heart has, has spent any moment worrying because it can't rationally, logically explain why you're so compelled to give yourself to this particular course of action. The heart and the soul, spirit, they just want to participate. They're just going where the life is. They don't need the brain to fully get it. <laughs> right? Right? Oh, yeah. You'll also find that your peers may come in unexpected places. So this episode is to every one of you who has a sense that it could be done better. You may be surrounded by people doing something similar to what you're doing, and they don't have this sense. They're fine with how it is. So when you go looking for peers within your particular field, you might not find them. I mean, when I, when I first started giving sermons and my reference points were Rage Against the Machine and David Fincher films and Eddie Izzard, not a lot of pastors, <laughs> were, those were their reference points. Gallagher, remember him? <laughs> not... Uh, Midnight Oil, not a lot of pastors were talking about Philippe Stark or the Eames. Not of the, a lot of them were talking about mid-century modern architecture. <laughs> not of them, a lot of them were talking about British punk 
yeah, yeah. So I, I right away I was like, I, my peers, um, but then I'd meet a furniture designer, or I'd meet a playwright, uh, or I'd meet a poet, um, or I'd I'd meet somebody teaching physics. Interestingly enough, and be like, oh, yes, yes. There's a friend. There's somebody. I I kept discovering that my peers or people that I connected with were in these vastly different fields. If you find yourself connecting with people and they're helping inform what you're doing, but they appear to be doing something very, very different, it may be because you're both at that front edge of the curve. They're rethinking how to do things in their particular space, and you're rethinking and tweaking and trying to transform and introduce a new creation and a new way of doing things in your field. And that's the commonality. And so at a higher altitude, you're doing very similar things, but how it gets worked out in the material flesh and blood circumstances of space and time might be vastly different. Yeah, so this is what you have to know in a hymn for the curve is... When you find anybody anywhere who in some ways you resonate with, ah, oh, you are so grateful. You say a prayer of thanks. Also, you'll notice uh, your relationship with money will often change because every new thing generally involves some level of commitment. It's almost like the, the universe says, are you serious? And one of the quickest ways to find out how serious we are about breaking new ground is to go right for the wallet. Because you can spout off all you want. That's, what's, that's called the internet. <laughs> Everybody going on and on about how they do it, how that's lame and it should be done this way. And then there are those few who don't spout off, but they actually get skin in the game. They're not in the comments section on Facebook or YouTube because they're busy actually doing it. Actual sweat and blood, actually down on the field, taking some shots. And one of the quickest ways to find out how serious we are about taking part in any sort of new creation is to go for the money. Uh, and one of the quickest ways people take the easy way out and don't step in to the front edge of the curve is because the money's good where the dominant consciousness is. Remember that bell curve? The majority of the money will always be in the middle. That's why all those stories about people inventing laptops, they're generally in their parents' garages. All the stuff that you most love and appreciate, the person who pioneered that probably did it in their parents' garage. Yeah, yeah, because there isn't that much money there. Your, your relationship to money often changes. And you could say, well, we wasted a bunch of money, we lost a bunch of money. Or you could simply say, the lessons we were learning cost something. If you change, you can even change the language here. Uh, Kristen and I would often talk about the wisdom um, that we gained from things. How much did we lose? Wait, 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 let's reframe it. We didn't waste or lose money that particular lesson cost us this much. Well, how much would that lesson generally cost in the open market? <laughs> See what I mean? You can advanced player, you can advanced player move this all day long. You're like, oh, we lost a bunch of money. Did you learn anything? Yeah. Well, what'd you learn? Yeah. Well, how much is that lesson? And remember, 
The lesson isn't just over what has been. You now know this. So now you got to prorate that lesson over the rest of your life. You went through this experience. You tried it this way. You tried it that way. It didn't work. A bunch of money ended up scattered all over the place. But now you know that. You know this about hiring people. You know this about how resources work. You know this about multiple iterations. You know, you learned that lesson, but that lesson now is with you. It is integrated into your being and it will shape how you live the rest of your life. So even when you count the cost, the cost gets broidered over your whole life. Do you see what you can do with all this? Yeah, you can move it from this anguish of, oh my word, money was tight, we lost a bunch, we wasted so much, what were we thinking, to how else did we think innovation works? How were we, did we think that we would break ground? If it was easy, everybody would do it. Of course there's a cost. Of course, and sometimes the cost is an actual cost. Other times, other times, in a hymn for the curve, other times you're misunderstood. And sometimes what hurts the most is when the very people who are part of your tribe do not understand what you are doing and then accuse you of being against or a detriment or a harm to the very thing you have given your life to doing. Sometimes it appears to others as though you have betrayed the cause when in fact you are more committed to the cause than ever. You just see that if there aren't some people who take risks and fly at a higher altitude in regards to the cause, the cause might not even be around. I should probably tell you a story. There's an old story about a village. The village is by a river. One day, a body floats down the river, floats by the village. The villagers are like, wait, was that a dead body? Another body comes through, another body. A couple of villagers wade out into the water and grab these dead bodies and drag them up on the beach. But there are even more bodies coming, so even more villagers go out into the river and they're dragging these dead bodies that are floating down the river as fast as they can to get them up on the beach. Well, another group of villagers come along and say, you guys aren't keeping up. So they begin building a dock and they build a dock out into the river so they can reach over and just grab the bodies and drag them up onto the dock and then they can do a, a relay to get the bodies up onto the beach. And so instead of like walking way out into the river, they're like, we can stop a lot of these bodies just by building this dock. So the second group is working on the dock and they're much more effective at getting the bodies out of the river. Some other villagers come up. They see this taking place and the people on the dock and the people in the water are like, help us, these bodies are coming so fast. We need your help to get these bodies out of the water. And the people who come to the water's edge and see this taking place and hear the pleas from the people in the water and on the dock turn and walk away from them up the river. At that moment, it looks to the people in the water and on the dock like these people are rejecting their cries for help and are just walking away from the problem. But what you and I know is that these people are walking up the river to find out why there are dead bodies floating down the river. Some people are in the water dragging bodies out. Some people are on the dock dragging bodies, but some people hike up the river 
they're looking for the systems. They're trying to figure out at a higher altitude what are the larger issues at play. And if we don't get to those, we're, we're just going to keep seeing bodies coming down the river. Maybe this is you. Uh, my Robcast friends, maybe you work at a systemic level. And perhaps there are those who are in the trenches who don't understand what you're doing. They don't understand why. Well, get in the water with us. And it's not that you don't care. It's that you care so much. You got out of the water and you're headed up the shore to figure out how to get at this thing systemically, systematically. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it can appear like you aren't doing your part when in fact you've figured out your part and it's something very differently that people may or may not understand. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is for every one of you who have some sense that it could be done better. And so you're going after it. You're giving it everything you got. And you might be in the river, but you might be in an office somewhere. Or you might have to leave town and go somewhere else to figure out larger systemic issues to tilt the whole thing. Sometimes it feels like two steps forward, one step back. Four steps forward, <laughs> five steps back. Sometimes it feels like you haven't made any progress. Sometimes it feels like you've gone backwards. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. If you're trying to figure out some new way to do it better, and you're trying this and you're trying that, you're throwing a lot of things against the wall. And some things stick and some things don't. Some things cost a bunch of money and you get no return, although you did learn. We covered that. Yeah, yeah. And this is the huge thing, especially if you come from more of a, a technical or science background. When you move in to breaking new ground because you have some sense that it could be done better, uh, this is art, this is art. And especially if you come from a background where precision is the value. You do the calculations and you do the planning so that you can nail it on the first try. Uh, it can be shocking to try something and just have it end up in a pile on the floor in front of you. This might be new territory, yeah. But you have some sense that there's a better way to do it, but that means you're going to have to experiment. And experimenting means two steps forward and sometimes feel like I step back or three. <laughs> yeah. That's how art works. Yeah. There's your welcome to art. <laughs> you want a 10 song album? You probably have to write a hundred songs. Yeah. You want to, you want a book, a uh, 50,000 word book. You probably have to write a hundred thousand words. It's just how it works. You want a, you want a Robcast episode that's 45 minutes long. Yeah. You'll probably, you'll probably have an hour and a half of ideas two hours of ideas that you'll have to just keep whittling down because a bunch of them won't make the cut. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, here's a huge one. Here's a huge one in a hymn for the curve. Your metrics of success will get completely jacked up. Because in the old world, when everybody had agreed this is how we do it, then with that came these reward systems. This is how it works in this office. This is how it works in the classroom. This is how you raise kids who then accomplish certain things which then makes you feel good like you're doing a good job. So uh, your metrics of success are often very clear. I do this well, I get promoted. I do this well, I make more money. I do this well and everybody notices how amazing my kids are and then I feel good like, hey, that was, a worth, that, that was worth the effort and time and sweat. But you move to that very front edge of the curve where you're breaking new ground, success becomes something very different. 
maybe it used to be measured by numbers, but now you're like, wait, we're get, we're get way fewer numbers than before. But but if you're breaking new ground, who knows who's watching you? So in many ways, you surrender some of the old metrics, making money. Uh, I know we used to make a ton of money. Now we don't make that much money, but it's so much more fun, and it feels like we're actually pioneering something here. It may be the next generation that profits off of it. It's generally how it works. Think of how many of the great innovators died with nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens when you're ahead, is it takes a while for the masses to catch up. So you'll, you, you'll often notice you're in interesting territory when you find that even the idea of the word success starts to mean something very differently. Success often simply, <laughs> success often starts to just mean simply your sense of wonder and awe. Wow, look what we're doing here. I know we might, this might be a complete fiasco. We might blow through all the investors' money. This might never stick or might have no enduring relevance whatsoever. But wow, it feels like what we're supposed to be doing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most people would trade anything for that sense. Wonder and awe. Whew. Okay, a couple things to wrap this up. Uh, blinders, contracts, and a mantra. Okay, first one, blinders. When you're trying, when you have some sense that there's, a, there's a better way to do it, when you have some sense that there's some new territory that needs to be explored, when you have this sense that you're here, uh, you're here to break some new ground, you're first person through the wall, that's all you know is there's gotta be some better, that's all you have, there's gotta be some better way to do this. One of the arts of it is developing blinders because if you're constantly being bombarded with how it has been done, then that's like filling your visual and mental field. So sometimes you have to have tremendous blinders. You already know how it's done. You already know the dominant thinking on this. That's why you have such a sense that there's gotta be a better way to do it. So when you have people around you going, why are you doing it that way? Why did you paint it purple? I don't get why you use that word instead of the word we've always used. You, you may not be able to be around those voices very much. That's completely normal because you're here to do this specific thing and constantly being reminded that what you're doing is not the normal path isn't really helpful. It's actually working against the thing you're here to do. No judgment. We got nothing but love for those folks, but you're not here to repeat the pattern that has come before you. And so, uh, like, I don't really do social media ever, really. Uh, um, maybe a couple posts on Instagram. Otherwise, that's just not a place where I get anything helpful for the work I'm here to do. Uh, I don't really listen to the radio. I don't really listen to podcasts. <laughs> um, and gotten uh, nothing but love for so many people and what they're doing and what they're sharing. and what we're, But, uh, um, that, like, I often... I have to have very, very specific blinders because I got this thing I'm doing. Now, that doesn't mean I'm blind. I got input, all kinds of input. It's just certain mediums don't help, uh, and that's the key. It's not like you're just walking around sort of, nobody can help me because I'm doing such an awesome... No, no, no. You're inhaling all sorts of wisdom and truth and help and counsel um, and advice and wisdom. Oh, absolutely. It's just in, from certain things because other things you've discovered over time aren't helpful.
And maybe some point you'll completely change all of your policies. But yeah, it's, I've met so many people who are like, you know what, I'm doing this thing, and I found that if I hang around the old whatever, or if I listen to the, it completely like gunks up my system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally normal. Yeah, yeah. Totally how it works. Okay, blinders. Second, contracts. Whew. This one, uh, this one's fairly mystical, and yet, and actually a friend of mine the other day called this a contract. I'd, I'd had this in me for, uh, man, 20 years, but then the other day a friend talked about hers and called them contracts, and I was like, oh, that's what that is. So here, uh, here's an example. Uh, years ago, 20 years ago, 19 years ago, some friends and I started making some films, some short films based on my sermons. And uh, then we, then they ended up starting like a whole organization and we made like a, a whole bunch of these films. And partway through, some new folks became involved and they, the films were really effective. People really loved them, which was amazing. Um, but a group of people got together and sent a film crew out to interview people who had been uh, impacted by the films. And they started making short films about the short films. So the sh there were short films where you would get to know somebody and that person would tell their story about how the films we've been making had brought about all, had helped them and they had had extraordinary spiritual transformation and rebirth that had started with what um, they had experienced in watching these films. And I, uh, I had like a, a profound repulsion. Like I couldn't, uh, I couldn't deal with it and I couldn't figure out what it was. And, and it took Kristen and I a while. Oh, I have this work I'm here to do. These things I'm here to say, these spaces that I'm here to create, these words I'm here to arrange in particular, these Robcast episodes I'm here to do. Um, that takes everything I have. So that's what I'm here to do. And to spend energy on the effects of the work violated something for me. Like I, I'm not here to spend energy talking about how people responded to the work I'm doing. That, that, um, and at the time, I, I, I had like a, um, that's something that like God and I, <laughs> I had very like, very like old school sort of straightforward, that's not part of the deal. Um, I don't do that. Now, I tell you that story because uh, I imagine you have some of the same things. You're doing whatever it is that you're doing, but you've noticed that when you step over to the right or you step over to the left, you have some, it's like a light on the dashboard of your soul goes, no, we don't do that. Uh, no, that's not part of it. And a friend of mine the other day called this a contract. She's like, yeah, it's like a contract. I was like, oh, yeah. Um, she was talking about her work and she's like, when I started doing this work, she said, uh, that was just part of the deal, is I knew I had to be all in, and it was like a contract. I, I think of it like a divine contract, because it's not just, uh, these are the rules, it's something 
It's something deeper about the fabric of who you are and what kind of world you're living in. It's something about ultimate reality is present in this. And here's the thing about a contract. You, in what you're doing, it works a specific way, but somebody else, you would never put it on them. There's no judgment on anyone else. It's just how it works for you. And when my friend said contract, I was like, yes. I was like, I've had this contract about I don't spend energy on the publicly talking about the effects of what I do because I'm from the beginning just do the thing I'm here to do. Yeah, yeah. Now, you can always tear a contract up. A contract may work for a while and then it doesn't. So nothing absolute about a contract. It may work wonderfully and then sometimes a contract becomes a trap. It's like you had to set up these particular rules or boundaries to do the thing you're here to do. Um, you had to put these blinders up. You had to make this, I don't do that. I'm only here on these days. I'm, um, I don't step into that territory. I stay right here in my lane. Um, and then down the road, there's that moment when the contract feels limiting or even silly. Like, I can't believe I used to have that rule. Totally normal. Totally normal. You just tear up the contract. You can do that. That's the beauty of it. Um, here's one that's huge that helps me. Uh, I can't. because see, we were trained never to say I can't, right? Like what motivational speaker would be like, here's an important phrase, I can't. But this this phrase can be really helpful. Um, and, and, And not in like a limiting trap way, but in a freedom way. You're here to do this particular thing. And this particular thing, if you go and do that thing over there, you'll spend a week recovering. If you go and hang out with that group of people, the things that you'll pick up from them, the things that you'll say, you have to detox for the next 10 days to get back to zero so you can keep doing your work. And here's the thing. We need all of your energies going to to the unique thing you're here to do. So perhaps you've noticed that certain systems, certain family members, certain parties, certain social groups, certain friend relationships, if you engage with them in a particular way, or in some cases at all, they fill your head and heart with a bunch of stuff that you then have to clean out and almost like detoxify and it throws you off and your head spins and then it takes a while just to get back. So after a while, you've realized, I can't. I can't do that and be true to the thing I'm here to do. 100% completely normal. And if it helps, then just say, I can't. I can't do that. Now you could, but uh, then you wouldn't be true to what you're here to do. When we're dealing with a hymn for the curve, it's okay about certain things. It's okay. It's okay to just say, I can't. Because uh, you know what it will extract from you. You know how it'll detract or distract. And uh, you know the thing that you're onto. You're like a heat-seeking missile. Yeah, yeah, and we need you to be locked in like that because whatever it is, uh, if it's serving the greater good through your unique self, well, yeah, we need more of that. We need more of you. (sighs) Yeah, maybe you have some contracts. Yeah, and you don't need to go around, you know what I mean? (laughs) You have to understand I have some, you don't have to go around publicizing them. It's just something, uh, a couple of mine are so, the one I even told you about, it's so, I've never even talked about it, I don't think, publicly. Um, that's what the Robcast is for. 
it's so deep within me, these, um, here's what I'm here to do. Here's what I don't do. Um, here's what I can't do. It may change. Maybe tomorrow, suddenly I'll do that very thing because that's what spirit is up to. But right now, to stay true to this, that's what it looks like right now. Yeah, yeah. Add that to it right now. I can't right now. That might help. Yeah. Blinders, contracts. Let's do one more. Uh, mantra. Here's a mantra that helps me. Uh, of course. Man, this one, of course. It's the, and it's, it's so um, generic, like it can fit in almost any situation. You're lonely, of course. Feels like you just blasted through a whole stack of money trying to make some change and it doesn't seem like it went anywhere. Of course, of course you have like a letdown. Of course you're like beating yourself up. Of course. Now, well, we'll work through it because uh, you learn something and we'll, tra- we'll, we'll uh, convert that into new wisdom. But of course, you're like, what are we thinking? Uh, of course. Uh, here's one. Here's one that's huge. Of course, uh, I'm misunderstood. I'm being misunderstood. I signed up for this. Yeah, I signed up for this. Of course, not everybody gets it. I saw something, and I knew that my joy was bound up in going after that. Of course when I decided to raise the kids this way, uh, people would wonder what we're doing. Of course they wouldn't get it. They're deep in a system that I don't buy into anymore. Of course they would say something snide. Yeah, of course. Oh, that mo- is it a mantra? Is it a prayer? Is it a statement? Is it a tattoo? I don't know what it is, but and here's another one. Here's another one. Do you want to go back? Would you prefer not to see? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to go back to Egypt? Yeah. Do you want to go back to not having a vision for how to do it better? Uh, look back to where you were when it all worked just fine. Do you want to go back there? Kind Because of, it paid well and everybody got it and you got all the strokes and the accolades and the achievement. It was quite clear how to climb the ladder. You can go back there. That's fine. And the rules... The black and white, uh, the tribal agreements about how we live, not a lot, it's not as much ambiguity. There's a lot of belonging, and belonging is awesome, right? Do you want to go back? Yeah. So when it gets tough, just ask yourself, do you want to go back? Would you trade your newfound vision and freedom? Would you trade that for the confines of where you were and the stability and security and all that? Uh, maybe, or maybe you're like, no way, man, this is, this is bonkers. I'm just completely upside down and overwhelmed, but it's awesome. It's like a wild ride, man. I'll take the wild ride any day. (laughs) Of course, you're going to find peers and colleagues in the most unexpected places. Of course, you can keep talking about it till you're blue in the face and people might not get it. You're still trying to get your hands around it. Of course, someday it's two steps forward and one step back. Yeah, that's all part of it. That's why it's a hymn for the curve. You offer all of this up. I don't quite get it. It's a bit messy. There's a bunch of stuff laying around in pieces on the floor. The bank balance is a little dodgy. All the people that I came up with are looking at me like, have you lost your mind? 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, offer all that up. All the angst, all the pain, all the misunderstanding, all the strange looks, all the facts that you you didn't get invited to this year's party, but you've been invited the past 16 years. It's okay. They won't invite you to speak at your alma mater. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you have this path you're walking. <sighs> Yeah, it's like a hymn. Let it be like a song. Yeah, let the ache connect you to everybody everywhere who had some sense there's a way it could be done better and not everybody got it. Yeah, yeah. Some days you're like Teflon, man, everything bounces off. Some days you're like a sponge. Every little comment or every little bit just attaches to you. Some days you're so fierce you're like, I am on this. We are doing this. And other days, you, you, you're filled with compassion for everybody who doesn't see it. Yeah, that thing works. I see why that works for them. It used to work for me. Yeah, some days you're listening to every single data point. You're listening to every voice you can possibly find to help inform you. Other days, you're not listening because if you listened, it would mess it all up. You, you know exactly what the next step is. And if you'd listen, it would just be out of anxiety. It would be out of uh, resistance, just a, a way to not have to do what you know is the next step. Yeah, you're all over the place. Of course you are. Of course, we're human beings. What do we think? We nailed this right away? Yeah. No, it's not going to happen like that. It's way different. It's way different. If you were to ask me what, what's, the, what's the heart of it all, or, or here, even about the Bible, what's the story of the Bible? I think one of the, if you had to sum it up, I think one of the clearest ways to sum the whole thing up would be simply to say new creation. Yeah, new creation. Like the, you think about the Bible, it begins with Genesis, with a poem. The poem's about creation. It ends in Revelation with a city and a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. Yeah, new creation. Everything Jesus is doing is new creation. And his baptism is all a reference to Genesis 1. He's, these signs and symbols are all about creation, and uh, the first day of the new week of creation. Resurrection is about creation. It's about an affirmation of this world and the new creation bursting forth right here in the midst of this one. This isn't just innovation. is somewhat like a technical sort of academic uh, word. You could also just talk about new creation. Something within you is here to take part in a new creation. And creation needs flesh and blood. It needs materiality. It needs... It needs measurements and it needs money and kids and bodies and it needs like if it's new creation is a new creation in business is a new creation in caring for the earth is a new creation in cultivation is it food preparation is it academics is it design is it new creation welling up within the heart and soul as we figure out our psyches you see what i'm saying new creation that's the thing that's what you want to be a part of that's the thing at the heart of everything yeah yeah so so yeah it's like an innovation curve uh, we took this 1962 diffusion of innovations and sort of tweaked it, and made it our own, took, uh, turned it into something about all of us. <laughs> we took some liberties with it. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, it's new creation. You step into the Christ energy that holds everything together, keeps unfolding. If you're in that, then, then you're, you're a new creation going on there. Yeah, of course. If you trust, 
that the divine is on your side, that everything you've ever tried to earn has already been taken care of, and all it's left to do is trust and then enjoy it. Whew. Yeah, if that's happening, there's new creation there. Ah, oh, yes, that's why it's a hymn. Yeah, it's beautiful to be a part of something like that. Beautiful to be a part of something like that. So every one of you, this episode is for you. You have the sense that it could be done better. I am cheering you on in your loneliness, in all of the strange expectations we bring to this, in all the anxieties, and all of the what appears to be waste and loss, in all of the times we're misunderstood, and all the frustration of two steps forward, one step back, and all of the disorientation of having your metrics for success blasted to shreds. I'm cheering you on. Yeah, because we are in this together. And may grace and peace be with you every step of the way.